Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If you're a visitor, really good to have you with us. Hope you have a very warm welcome amongst us this morning. If you're watching online as well, great to have you with us. And if you've been here many, many times before, it's good to have you with us as well. Uh, This morning we come to hear the Word of God speaking to us. And uh, this is what the Bible says about the Word of God. It says, for the Word of God is living and active. So it's living. So this Word that we're hearing today can grow in us and develop. And it's active. It has an impact on us. It sort of challenges our intentions and our attitudes and our desires. So this Word that we're looking at today is living and active. And uh, this morning, we're carrying on in our series of Elisha, and our pastor, John Cowley, is carrying on uh, with that, so he'll be speaking to us later. Just a couple of notices. On Friday, this Friday, at 11am, there's a ladies' uh, talk and afternoon cream tea. Um, So that sounds rather good. Uh, If possible, let Esther know by today for catering purposes. And just to let you know as well that teenagers are welcome. So that's a a ladies, uh, there's a talk and an afternoon cream tea. That's on Friday. And then Saturday is the annual beach day as well. So um, if you'd like to go to the beach, believe it's Pevensey, um, then head to the beach on Saturday and hopefully you'll see a lot of people there. Lovely. Well, we're going to sing this morning. And uh, we're going to sing a song that encourages us to uh, behold God and to adore him. Uh, This is the chorus. It says, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. When the music starts, let's stand and sing.
three readings now, which will help us uh, later when John is explaining uh, the passage to us. And the first is from uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 7 to 15. And so this is the passage that we'll be focusing on later in Elisha. It says, Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camel loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, What is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. Well, we're now going to read a bit of background to that. Uh, episode, and this now comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 to 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 to 19. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And then our third reading uh, is an incident in the life of Jesus that connects with this, with our passage that we're looking at today. And this comes from the New Testament. This comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. So Luke chapter 19 verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade round you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Well, as you can see, it's a fairly serious passage that we're looking at this morning. And so we're looking forward to John, our pastor, explaining a little bit uh, about what it all means and why it's relevant for us. Well, now we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing Facing a Task Unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothfulies. We who rejoice to know you renew before your throne the solemn pledge we owe you to go and make you known. And then after that, we're going to have the children's talk.
anymore, that's it. Excellent, it's good to see you. Now, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes now, and I want to see, first and foremost, if any of you can guess what I've got in this package here. Okay, so you might use this if you wanted to plan a trip somewhere. Anyone have a guess what they might think it is? Lydia? A map, but it's not just any map. This is a very, very special map. In fact, I think that this map is probably one of my favourite presents ever. Now, if you got given a map, would you think that was one of your favourite presents ever? No, not at all. But there's a reason why this, I think, is one of my favourite presents ever. And I'll show you. Can anybody see the front of that? What's on the front of that map? What's on it, Katie? It's my family. My family are on this map. And we're actually going on holiday in a few weeks' time. And we're going to Wales. We're going to Snowdonia. And my brother-in-law, Cy, for my birthday just gone, he gave me a map of Snowdonia to um, take with us. And it's got a picture of uh, my family on it. And it's got walks on the best with friends and family. And it's got the place where we're standing. And I think that was a pretty good present, don't you? And anyway, so I thought that was fantastic. It's got my face on it. It's got the map um, about where we're going. And then I opened it up and it's got something else here. I might need two of you. Can two of you come up quickly to give me a hand? Annie, do you want to come up? And yes, Kitty Rose, do you want to come up? So if you can hold one side. No, it's upside down. There we go. And you come this side. Now, can any of you see anything on this map that's a bit different? Anything at all? Harvey. There's rivers. Anything specific? Jess? There's highlighters, there's points on this map that have been marked on there. And on this map, these different places are the places that Simon wants to take the family when we go on holiday. So he's planned for us all these little routes, these different mountains, waterfalls, and he's circled them and he's placed them there. And I think that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So I opened this map up and I looked at it and there's all these amazing places and I think, oh, that's somewhere where we can go. But sometimes... We have places marked out on a map that we want to go, and sometimes we don't make it there. Something might happen. So, for instance, there's, there's one marked by a beach, and if the weather was really, really rainy and really, really nasty, would you want to go and sit on a beach? No, we wouldn't, so, so we might not end up at that beach. Or if one of them was a mountain, it was really, really misty on top of the mountain, I don't think that we'd want to go there. We'd plan to go there, but things change. And it got me thinking, as, that's it, you can sit down now. Have any of you guys thought that our lives are a bit like a map? Because I used to, when I was your age especially, I used to think to myself, oh, I know what I'm going to do when I'm older. I know what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to do this, that and the other. Does anyone think that? What they might be doing when they're older? I remember when I was your age, I specifically thought to myself, I'm going to be a famous footballer. I did. And I thought, by the time I'm 18, I'm definitely going to be playing for Arsenal. And did that happen? No, I made the plan for it, but it didn't happen. Other times I thought to myself, oh, when I'm older, one thing that I did think to myself when I was younger as well, I thought to myself, when I'm old enough to drive, I'm going to buy myself a Porsche. And that didn't work out either. I didn't get a Porsche. Sometimes plans that I have don't necessarily work out in the way that I expected them to. And it can be like you guys. I've heard from you this morning. Some of you guys are moving classes, aren't you? 
and you might be thinking, you know, you've got to meet new friends, new teachers, and you might have in your head how it's all going to pan out when you meet these new people. And sometimes it doesn't go the way that you think it does. And sometimes in life as well, when we're bigger, we think that things are going to go a certain way and things are chucked up in front of us that really, really shake us sometimes. So like on that map where we've marked out all these places where we want to go and we're aiming to go to that place specifically and enjoy that place, sometimes in our life, where we're aiming to go to, there's a question mark there and we don't quite understand why our plans haven't turned out the way that they have. I mean, sometimes it can be sad, sad things happen that someone that we know really dearly might pass away or someone might have an accident or is put in hospital and we don't really understand And our plans and our future plans change in a different way. But God has given us his message in the Bible. And he's got a verse that I want to put up on the board here. And it's in Jeremiah. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And this is a real good verse that I love to to get out and to go over in my head because I never thought when I was your age I'll be standing in church up in front of you now. I never for one minute thought I was going to be a Christian. Like I said, I thought I was going to be playing for Arsenal. I was going to be driving a Porsche. I was going to be doing all this other stuff. I never thought for one minute I'd be a Christian. But I'm standing here now and my map of my life has gone in a completely different way to where I thought it was going to be. But I wouldn't change it for anything. The place where I am now is where God wants me to be. And God has told me that if I listen to him and take notice of him and follow him, I will end up in exactly the place where I need to be. And the best thing about God, and especially this message here, God tells us that he has a map for us and he has a plan for us all. If we follow Jesus, he has a plan for every single one of us. And sometimes when sad things happen or things change that we don't quite understand, don't worry about it if you don't understand it because God does And God says he's going to mean it for for good for you and to give you a hope. And I know that our lives are going to go in different directions many, many times as we get older. But I know where our map's going to finish and our final destination is. And our final destination is going to be with God and in heaven because he's going to give me a fantastic future. And I think that's really, really good news, don't you? So I want you to remember, next time you get out a map and you look at it, just remember... God's putting out a map as well. And he's looking at a map of all your lives. And your lives might go in different directions. You might have ups and downs. You might be planning to be here, but he had put you there. But if you put your trust in God, you'll be exactly where God wants you to be at exactly the time. And if you put your trust in him, at the end of your life, you'll end up with him in heaven for eternity. And I think that's wonderful, isn't it? And I think that's fantastic that we can know that he's got that for us. Shall we just quickly pray before we hand over to Mike and I'll send you back. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are in control of our lives. We thank you so much that you direct us and you put us in the places where we need to be. And Lord, we know that there are going to be times in our lives where we're sad. There are going to be times when we're happy. There are going to be times when things happen that we just don't understand. But we're so thankful that we can put our trust in you because all the plans that we have in our lives, Lord, they might be different to yours, but you have the right plans for us. And you put us in the places where we need to be at them times that we need to be there. And I just pray that each and every single one of us now, as they go through their lives, will understand that that to really um, be with you at the end of their lives, they need to put their trust in you. And if we put our trust in you and follow you all the days of our lives, our final destination will be in heaven with you, which is far better. Amen. Okay, do you want to go back to your seats now?
Thank you, John. Well, we've got the privilege of uh, praying again, so let's bow and pray before our Heavenly Father. Lord God, we come before you now, and Lord, we have to confess that that is so true, Lord, that so often our plans do not come about how we think. Lord, we do not even know what tomorrow holds, and Lord, many of us can testify that so often um, we just don't know, and things are so different. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you are the one who knows the future. And Lord, you are the one who is in control of all things. And Lord, we see through your word, Lord, you pulling the strings even over um, enemy countries, uh, Lord, to make your plans happen. And Lord, we thank you for the greatest plan, Lord, that looked like a, a hopeless loss as Jesus was crucified on the cross. And yet, Lord, it was all you're doing as you... Um, gave us the greatest victory we could imagine. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who controls all things. And Lord, for those who follow you, Lord, you give us such a hope. And we thank you for that and we praise you for that. And we thank you now for the privilege of being able to speak to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to sense something of the wonder of what we're doing now. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a church. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, Jesus' body on earth like we are meant to be. That even though Jesus isn't here like he was uh, 2,000 years ago, Lord, that we would be just like Jesus. That people would be able to see Jesus in us. And Lord, that we would be loving and that we would be compassionate. But Lord, I pray that we'd also be truth speakers. Lord, we know that Jesus spoke the truth in love. Lord, I pray that we would do that. Lord Jesus himself told us that if we want to follow him, we need to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Lord, that we will face rejection if we follow him, but Lord, I pray that we would. Lord, so if we die with him, we will also rise again with him. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be wise, to be discerning, to have the right words to speak in different circumstances. Lord, I pray that as a church we would be ambassadors of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And Lord, to follow him whatever the consequences. Lord, we need your spirit in us. We need the power of you in us to be able to do that. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. And for Lord, for anyone here who does not know you, for anyone here that's new to it, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them in your power and your love and that they would experience something of how wonderful you are and that they too would follow you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you especially this morning for your goodness to Neville and Liz and for their 50th uh, wedding anniversary and the celebrations that they had yesterday. We thank you for them and Lord, we pray for them. We pray that you would continue to keep them in their marriage. That you continue to bless them and all the family as well. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless them for many years to come. Lord, as they face uh, the challenges of family life, which many families experience and maybe unique experiences, Lord, just bless them, keep them, help them, I pray. And Lord, we thank you as well for John and Esther and for their wedding anniversary uh, this weekend, their 30th wedding anniversary. 
And Lord, we thank you so much for them too, for how you've blessed their marriage. Lord, I pray that you would continue to keep them and bless them. Lord, especially as they uh, lead the church. Lord, with many burdens, uh, many things on their mind, many responsibilities. Lord, some which we do not know about. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and help them. And Lord, that they may be a, a great example to each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for them. Keep them. Bless them in your strength, I pray. Lord, we bring before you the young family as well. Lord, we thank you so much for them. Lord, for the, the joy of seeing them regularly. Lord, we, we praise you for each and every one of them. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the, the funeral this week. Lord, it was an incredibly sad time. And yet, Lord, we thank you that it was a special time. We thank you that the psalm we looked at ended on hope. And Lord, I pray that they'll be able to grasp that in their sadness. And Lord, as the, the funeral has now happened, Lord, I pray that you'd be with them in the weeks and the months ahead. And that we as a church and others that know them would be a real support and blessing to them. Lord, do continue to comfort and help them, I pray. Lord, I pray for others as well. Lord, some are on the bulletin. We can see them. We pray for them. Lord, you know there are many others as well who may not be on the bulletin. Uh, Maybe there are private things going on. Lord, you know that there are many different issues. Many of us here may be struggling with things. Lord God, we pray that you would help them. That they would find comfort in you, in your presence, in your word. And in the fellowship with other believers as well. Lord, I really pray for Peter Turner as he goes into the schools um, as part of the good news for everyone. Uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that he would share that message and that it would be good news for everyone, that they would realise that's what it is. Lord, we know that so often people don't listen, so often people reject it, but Lord, we pray that people would listen, that they'd be amazed, that they, they would sense this good news in a world where there isn't much good news. Lord, I pray that you would save them. And I pray, Lord, that they would then go on to tell others about it. Lord, that your word would multiply. Lord, that's what we we long for. Lord, the good news to go out because it is good news. So, Lord, do help Peter as he goes. Help him to explain it well, to be clear. And, Lord, I pray that people would listen. And, Lord, we think about our communion service as well uh, coming up this afternoon. Lord, for those of us who are members, Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would be a real privilege, a really special time. Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would be able to really stop and remember Jesus' blood and sacrifice and the body that was broken for us. Lord, may we look forward to it and may it be a time where we come away feeling incredibly blessed because that's what we are. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling guilty this morning. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you that your blood washes us whiter than snow. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone feeling guilty that they would turn to you this morning and they would find forgiveness and that their slate would be wiped clean, as it were, and that their heart would be filled with love for you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who not only can forgive, but you love to forgive. We thank you for that. 
And Lord, lastly, I just pray that you'd help John as he speaks to us this morning. Lord, it's a busy day, busy week, uh, but we thank you for him. Lord, we pray that you'd help him to speak clearly and well. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we listen. Lord, I pray uh, that your word would go into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have hard hearts that refuse to listen or don't want to listen or get distracted. Lord, I pray that we would listen, that our hearts would be soft, that we'd take it in. And that your word, which is living and active, would get into us and would grow in us and would impact our lives. So, Lord, we bring all these things before you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our third song now before John comes and speaks to us. And it's, O Father, you are sovereign. Sovereign kind of means supreme ruler. And this is who we come before this morning, the God who is a supreme ruler. O Father, you are sovereign. Let's stand and sing when the music starts.
we carry on then our series in Elisha. We're in 2 Kings. If you have a church Bible or an app to follow it, that might be helpful. Uh, I haven't got the page number in front of me for 2 Kings 8, but if somebody has... Sorry? 314. Page 314 if you've got the church Bible. Now, in today's passage, we have a gigantic present. We have a critical health report. We have a weeping man of God. And we have an assassination attempt. So we have an eventful passage that we're looking at this morning. Um, As well as eventful, it can at first sight be rather confusing. Perhaps you found that as you read it, you thought that was, what is going on in this passage we've had read? Why is all this happening? Why are we in a foreign territory when we're thinking about God's Old Testament people, Israel? First one thing seems to be happening to a foreign leader and then it there's an about turn and something different which you don't expect seems to happen. What is the big deal anyway? What is going on in our passage this morning? Maybe you felt that as we read it through. Well, I said last week that there would be a mood change this week as we've traced through the life of Elisha. For weeks we've been looking at Elisha's ministry and so much of it has been full of God's kindness and God's patience and God's grace. And if you missed out on that, you might want to track back through some of the recent chapters and you'll see great episodes of God's kindness and patience. And in so many ways, I'd rather stay on that theme. I quite like preaching about God's kindness and patience and grace. But we try and follow through the whole of the Bible here and sometimes that brings us to mood changes and other, if you like, more severe, serious, hard-hitting messages. And we come to that more this morning. A scene set will help. This is not a history lesson, but understanding the history helps you get the lesson. Israel, here is the, the, the northern chunk of the people of God, which split. And this northern part, Israel, had been going for about, say, 80 years or so. And it had not had one single good king. It had not had one single good king. The rot started at the start with a king called Jeroboam, who's very much a sort of Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way sort of king, and tries to worship gods as he wants More recently, things have got down to a a lower level, if you like. We've had the the worst king come along, who's a man called Ahab on the throne. Although, from the way in which he conducts himself, you wonder whether his wife Jezebel is on the throne for much of the time. And that was a horrendous period for this people of the north. There were new low levels innocent bloodshed, multiplied idolatry and God substitutes, child sacrifice, persecuting God's messengers. And since that time of Ahab, the northern nation had been marked out for judgment. 
God's justice would come. Well then, Ahab dies, and his first son dies as well, and his second son now, Jehoram, is on the throne. He's not quite as bad as Ahab, but he is a bad king, and God's acts of judgment still hasn't fallen. God is patient and gracious. God gives space and time for repentance. He does for us. But he does not overlook justice. And now that the forces of God's judgment and justice seem to be uh, gathering momentum. So judgment looms is our title as we're thinking through our passage this morning. Going to go through the events first, recap what happens, understand it. And then I want to, to make a number of points which are lessons for us from this passage. So, Elisha is in Damascus, the capital of Syria then, as it is the capital of Syria today. We're not quite sure why he's there. Maybe he's done a follow-up visit of Naaman, maybe. Or maybe that God has taken away his spokesman out of his own territory to a foreign land. But whatever the reason is, it proves very handy for the king of Syria. Ben-Hadad is his name, the king of Syria. This man is seriously ill. Even powerful kings get very ill. And although previously he tried to hunt down Elisha to finish him off, now he's rather glad that Elisha is in town. At last, someone reliable I can go to to get a verdict on my situation. And so, the king of Syria sends his man, Haziel, to Elisha. Now, he's keen to be sure that Elisha knows that he's coming in a good spirit, unlike last time. So, Haziel takes with him 40 camels loaded with gifts. Maybe you like to get a few parcels sometimes. John obviously liked one of his parcels in his, uh, in, with his map coming. You get an Amazon day and you get two or three parcels and it's rather good, rather exciting. Well, here there are 40 camel loads. It's like an HGV reversing up to your door packed with goodies. Well, I don't think uh, Elisha is particularly interested or phased by the gifts. This is what's happening. We're in verses 7 to 9. Let me read it so that you can see what's happening here. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, the man of God has come here. The king said to Haziel, take a present with you and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from this sickness? So Haziel went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camel loads. Well, I don't think he's phased by the gifts that he's offered, but he does hear the question that comes from the king of Syria, and he does give a response about the likelihood of recovery. We carry on in verse 9.
your son Bedhadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha's answer at first seems good news to the, this man, Haziel, to take back. You shall certainly recover. In other words, um, your illness isn't fatal. It's not terminal. It won't kill you. You're not going to die from the disease that you've got. But then he adds in verse 10, but the Lord has shown me he shall certainly die. You might find yourself a bit confused. Good news on the illness, but death is still coming. And then Elisha stares at the man. We don't enjoy being stared at, do we? And as Elisha stares at the man, tears well up in his eyes. Well, Haziel finds this all very awkward. And he asks what the matter is. And this is Elisha's reply to Haziel. And there are four traumatic parts to it. We're now in verse 12. And Haziel said, why does my Lord weep? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses and you will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. What a, what a tale of news he's got and he knows that Haziel is going to be involved with. Well, Haziel doesn't think he's up to such things. I don't know whether it's false humility or whether he's lying through his teeth because he knows what he's planned. He says, what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Well, the word great there is rather chilling. He seems to have much great things that are going to be done. Elisha goes a bit further in verse 13. The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. So Haziel heads back to his king. He gives the good part of the news to uh, Ben-Hadad. But the very next day, armed with... uh, some wet bed linen. He suffocates his king and his king dies. Who then becomes king of Syria? Haziel, just as Elisha had said. So we have a gigantic present, a critical health report, a weeping man of God and a successful assassination attempt. And aside from the drama of the events themselves, what we have here is a bigger picture of what's going on. It involves God justly dealing with his people and their rulers. We have lessons here about God's judgment. And I want to just bring out four this morning. Firstly, in these verses, we have sovereign judgment. 
Mark helpfully explained the word sovereign, supreme ruler, associated usually with a king, somebody who is in control. God is in control of what's happening in these events and in the judgment that follows. So we're in a foreign country, we have a ruler who's seriously ill, we have Elisha nearby, that's very handy, we have a servant named Haziel, come back to that name in a moment, that's quite significant, we have an assassination, we have a new king, and what it's saying is that God is over it all. God is in control. It doesn't justify the evil actions of those different people involved, but God is overruling the events that are happening. God is in control of the events of nations. He's sovereign. And I think that's something to to learn, and I think it's something to be encouraged by. Even the actions of a bad despot are under God's sovereign oversight. One of the one of the most powerful and fiercest rulers of the Old Testament was Nebuchadnezzar. And three times in the book of Jeremiah it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. God is overruling and using him despite his wickedness. And maybe you're troubled by world events. Many are at the moment. The um, actions of dictatorial leaders. You're disturbed by it as you hear the news. Well, isn't it encouraging then to remember that God is sovereign over all the events of nations? Uh, could it even be said President Putin of Russia, my servant? Strange, isn't it, when you think of the atrocities going on as we see it. It, it doesn't mean that Putin in any of his evil actions is aligning himself to God's revealed will and doing good things. But it does mean that even the actions of that national leader and many other national leaders in their different ways are under the overall sovereign hand of God. Oh, maybe you find you get yourself very anxious by the news. It's good to remember the sovereignty of God, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why we sang, Behold our God seated on the throne. Well, as well as being sovereign in his judgment in what happens here, we have expected judgment. So today's passage fits on a bigger canvas. Now, perhaps I can introduce it like this. I think it might help. Um, If I tell you about a man who was in Austria, um, and the year is 1909, um, and he was homeless, and he ends up in a men's dormitory, Um, He sold watercolour pictures. Um, He had a passion for architecture and music. And you think, who is this guy? And I'm saying his first name was Adolf and um, his surname was Hitler. Ah, now you've got all sorts of things going on in your mind about this man in Austria at the start of last century. Well, that's the reaction we should have to Haziel of Syria being mentioned. 
It's a name which reverberates in the Bible. It's got a sense of, uh uh-oh, I know what this means. We read back in Elijah's time, and Elijah, Elijah, have to be careful here, was told to do um, several things that would bring judgment on the nation which had gone against God under Ahab. And we read in verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Oh, quite a few years ago this man's name was mentioned, and here now he's he's coming up, he features, he's being dealt with by uh, Elisha, perhaps it's almost like being anointed by Elisha, the follow-on from Elijah. And these people would be instruments of God's justice. And Jehu, the son of Nishi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. More of that next week, don't forget his name. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall appoint as well. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So this is fulfilling what God said would happen about judgment. It's expected judgment. And Haziel becomes king, and the next few decades, to say he's a menace for Israel is a fine statement. He creates damaging havoc for the people of God. But it's good for us to pick up this point, that judgment is expected. that God says that judgment is ahead. not talking particularly about our nation or the events particularly of our lives. That may or may not be things that happen. But at the end of our lives, Hebrews 9 verse 27 has it like this. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In fact, Jesus rising again is the proof of it, according to Acts 17, verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who is appointed, and of this he has given assurance, confirmed it, by raising him from the dead. There's a fixed day. There's judgment ahead. Judgment is to be expected. And the Bible makes clear that none of us, in and of ourselves, are in a good position to face that. It says there are none righteous, no, not one. It says that out of our hearts comes all sorts of evil things, envy, pride, immorality, that we have fallen way below God's standards, that the wages of sin is death. So facing that day of judgment is, a, is an awesome prospect for us. It's a terrible thought. The thought of it ought to shut our mouths, according to Romans 3.19, as we think of the way in which we come short of God's standards. God's judgment's not just an Ahab problem or an Israel problem, it's an us problem. We need to be ready and we're not ready. It's as if taking last time we're like the, the big lorry careering down the steep slopes of a hillside and uh, we've gone far too fast and the brakes just aren't kicking in and the junction is ahead. 
Judgment is expected at the end of our lives and it's a serious issue in the Bible. Well, I want to add this as well from this passage. It's a bit more specific to this passage and that is upsetting judgment. Upsetting judgment. The thought of there being judgment from God, of God punishing sin, is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to shrug off. It's not something to get hardened to. It's something to be softened by. As somebody told me this, it relayed this illustration recently and I think it's quite helpful. You think of the sun and the sun um, shining down with its heat and you think of wax and what does wax do? Well, it, it melts under the heat and becomes soft. You think of clay, what does that do in, in the light of the heat? Well, that becomes hard and hardened. And there can be two different reactions to God's judgment. We can become hardened to it, not bothered about it, or we can be soft about it. And I think this is true for us as Christians as well, that we as Christians need to be soft at the thought of God's judgment, not hard in reaction to it. So Elisha, speaking to Haziel and running through what Haziel will be involved with, those four awful things which he will be taking responsibility. And, and Elisha can't see through the tears. He's upset. It, it moves him, the thought that people should be harmed in such ways. And it's, it's a biblical pattern so often. That's why we read about Jesus. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the city which had rejected him and spurned his teaching, which was going against the Saviour, and as Jesus looks across the city, he weeps over it, upset for what is ahead for the city because it has turned against God. The Apostle Paul talks about having... Continual grief in his heart for those who have rejected the gospel. Those that were menacing the church at Philippi, he says, as he tells them, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. How do you react to the thought of God's judgment? Shrug it away, hardened like the clay, or soft like the wax. Christians, how do we feel as we think of the judgment of God on those who haven't yet found safety? I find this a challenge to myself. Am I soft? The thought of of judgment, uh, uh, God's wrath of hell is almost too much. I almost block it off. I, I just can't take it in and and think about it and process it so I I almost block it off when I need to be mindful, sad, concernful, prayerful. The upsetting uh, judgment of God. William Carey was known as the father of modern missions Um, He went to India taking the message of Jesus and in earlier days he was a teacher but still really concerned for the spread of the gospel and in his geography lessons he said there would be tears in his eyes and he looked at the maps and thought of all those in different countries that didn't know about Jesus. Have you had had, uh, 
crying geography teachers. That was been strange, wasn't it? But it was a man whose heart was soft at the thought of others not knowing the gospel. And we have different burdens, we have different roles, we have different capacities. We're not terribly emotional, are we, in this country? But at least there should be a softness in our, in our hearts. And I think this is one of the main lessons of this passage, upsetting judgment. But I have a final point, and that is this, avoidable judgment. Avoidable judgment. So I was wondering last week, in the run-up to last week, do I take these two passages, the one we had last week and the one we have this week, together? And in many ways, you do need to see the two together. In the first six verses, we, we saw about God's restoration. We saw about uh, a route uh, of uh, escape. We thought about salvation. And now we think about judgment. But the earlier part was saying... There are routes out, there is a way of safety, there is a a way to be free from God's judgment, to to know a point of safety. I mentioned last week about these lorries going down um, the the roads and having these uh, offshoots, they're called escape lanes, offshoots where uh, there's loads of shingles so that if they're heading down towards the roundabout, or or, or towards the end of the road, and they can't control themselves, they can go off onto the the shingle and they just run to ground to a halt rather than careering into traffic. And somebody advised me that in uh, Devon at uh, Lynmouth, the steep slope down to Lynmouth, there was one. In fact, there's more than one. There's two. So that there's a route to safety. If If a vehicle's getting out of control, there's provision for a route to safety. And so there is in the message of the Bible, this severe judgment ahead of us because of what we've done. There there is a way off. There is an escape route. There's more than one. Maybe you ignored the routes you've heard about in the past. Well, you're not yet at the junction. And it's just like this morning, I'm saying there's another route off. Jesus, as he laments, as it's described in Matthew this time, has talked about the the way of, the offer of safety. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? It's as if Jesus is saying, come here, come to safety, come to a, a place of love, come to a place of warmth, come to a place of protection. You don't need to be out there. I am offer, offering you refuge. And that's the message of the gospel. There is judgment ahead, but there is a place of safety. Jesus calls you to himself. The saviour who came to die on the cross to ensure forgiveness. We had a funeral here on uh, Wednesday and as Mark referred to, we were looking at Psalm 130 on that occasion. And this was one of the phrases that sh- which stood out for us. But there is forgiveness with you. There is forgiveness through the message of the gospel. The things that we have done wrong, the shame, the guilt which we have accumulated we needn't take it with us to judgment. There is a place of safety. In John 5, Jesus says this in verse 24. Truly I 
Truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So that is a message for you this morning. Judgment is avoidable through Jesus, through trusting in him. There's forgiveness for all sins and there is a way to face the end of our lives with a sense of joy, confidence and hope. So judgment looms. We'll see a bit more of that next week. But we're also reminded in the gospel of the way of safety through Jesus. I'm giving you, through the gospel, another escape route this morning. Don't go careering past it. Well, we're going to sing our last song, which is partly is a, a song of invitation, really, which calls us to come to the Saviour for forgiveness. Today, your mercy calls us to wash away our sin. However great our trespass, whatever we have been, however long from mercy our hearts have turned away, your blood, O Christ, can cleanse us and set us free today.
Oh Lord, we do have to confess that like the kings of Israel, we have had our God substitutes. We have turned away from your word. You have not had the rightful place that you deserve in our lives. We have sometimes made a mockery of those who love you. We have damaged others in our selfishness. Uh, We deserve judgment according to your word and we uh, agree that that is right when we get a grasp of our failure and your holiness. And yet we're reminded again that there is forgiveness with you. There is a, a route out. There is a way of safety. We thank you for giving Jesus as the Saviour in your plan so that our guilt may be washed away. And we pray that uh, looking at this uh, passage largely of judgment this morning may have moved us, softened us, but especially if never before, driven us to hope in Christ and to believe in him and to find everlasting life and escape from judgment. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.